10. The Voice of Saruman They passed through the ruined tunnel and stood upon a heap of stones, gazing at the dark rock of Orthnach and its many windows, a menace still in the desolation that lay around it. The waters had now nearly all subsided. Here and there gloomy pools remained, covered with scum and wreckage, but most of the wide circle was bare again, a wilderness of slime and tumbled rock, pitted with blackened holes and dotted with posts and pillars leaning drunkenly this way and that. At the rim of the shattered bowl there lay vast mounds and slopes, like the shingles cast upon by a great storm, and beyond them the green and tangled valley ran up the long ravine between the dark arms of the mountains. Across the waste they saw riders picking their way, and they were coming from the north side, and already they were drawing near to Orthnark. There is Gandalf and Theoden and his men, said Legolas. Let us go and meet them. Walk warily, said Mary. There are loose slabs that may tilt up and throw you down a pit if you don't take care. They followed what was left of the road from the gates to Orthnark, going slowly, for the flagstones were cracked and slimed. The riders, seeing them approaching, halted under the shadow of the rock and waited for them. Gandalf rode forward to meet them. Well, Treebeard and I have had some interesting discussions and made a few plans, he said, and we've all had some much-needed rest. Now we must be going on again. I hope you companions have all rested too and refreshed yourselves. We have, said Mary, but our discussions began and ended in smoke. Still, we feel less ill-disposed towards Saruman than we did. Do you indeed, said Gandalf. Well, I do not. I have now had a last task to do before I go, and I must pay Saruman a farewell visit. Dangerous, and probably useless, but it must be done. Those of you who wish may come with me, but beware, and I do not jest. This is not the time for it. I will come, said Gimli. I wish to see him and learn if he really looks like you. And how will you learn that, Master Dwarf, said Gandalf. Saruman could look like me in your eyes, if it suited his purpose with you. And are you yet wise enough to detect all his counterfeits? Well, we shall see, perhaps. He may be shy of showing himself before many different eyes together. But I have ordered all the Ents to remove themselves from sight, so perhaps we will persuade him to come out. What's the danger? asked Pippin. Will he shoot at us and pour fire out of the windows? Or can he put a spell on us from a distance? The last is most likely. If you ride to his door with a light heart, said Gandalf. But there is no knowing what he can do, or may choose to try. A wild beast cornered is not safe to approach, and Saruman has his powers that you do not guess. Beware of his voice. They came now to the foot of Orthnark. It was black, and the rock gleamed as if it were wet. The many faces of the stone had sharp edges, as though they had been newly chiselled. A few scorings and a small flake-like splinters near the base were all the marks that it bore of the fury of the Ents. On the eastern side, at the angle of the two piers, there was a great door high above the ground, and over it was a shuttered window opening upon a balcony hedged with iron bars. Up to the threshold of the door there mounted a flight of twenty-seven broad stairs, hewn by some unknown art of the same black stone. This was the only entrance to the tower. But many tall windows were cut with deep embrasures in the climbing walls. Far up they appeared like little eyes in the sheer face of the horns. At the foot of the stairs, Gandalf and the king dismounted. I will go up, said Gandalf. I have been to Orthnick and I know my peril. I will go up too, said the king. 
I am old and fear no peril any more. I wish to speak with the enemy who has done me so much wrong. Eomir will come with me and see that my aged feet do not falter. As you will, said Gandalf. Aragorn will come with me. Let the others await us at the foot of the stairs. They will hear and see enough, if there is anything to hear or see. Nay, said Gimli. Legolas and I wish for a closer view. We alone here represent our kindreds. We will also come behind. Well, come on then, said Gandalf. And with that he climbed up the steps and fared and went behind him. The riders of Rohan sat uneasily upon their horses, on either side of the stair, and looked up darkly at the great tower, fearing what might befall their lord. Mary and Pippin sat on the bottom step, feeling both unimportant and unsafe. Half a sticky mile from here to the gate, muttered Pippin. I wish I could slip off back to the guardroom unnoticed. What did we come here for? We're not wanted. Gandalf stood before the door at Orthnack and beat it with its staff. It rang with a hollow sound. Saruman! Saruman! he cried in a loud, commanding voice. Saruman, come forth! For some time there was no answer. At last the window above the door was unbarred, but no figure could be seen coming at its dark opening. Who is it? said a voice. And what do you wish? Fearson started. I know that voice, he said. And I cursed the day when I first listened to it. Go and fetch Saruman, since you have become his footman, Grima Wormtongue, said Gandalf. And do not waste our time. The window closed. They waited. Suddenly another voice spoke, low and melodious, its very sound and enchantment. Those who listened unwearily to that voice could seldom report the words that they heard, and if they did, they wondered, for a little power remained, it, remained in them. Mostly they remembered that only it was delight to hear the voice speaking, and all that said seemed wise and reasonable, and desire awoke in them by swift agreement to seem wise themselves. When others spoke, they seemed harsh and uncouth by contrast, and if they gainsayed the voice, anger was kindled in the hearts of those under the spell. For some, the spell lasted only a while as the voice that spoke to them, and when it spoke to another, they smiled as men do, those who see through a juggler's trick when others gape at it. For many, the sound of the voice alone was enough to hold them enthralled, but for those whom it conquered, the spell endured when they were far away, and ever they heard that soft voice whispering and urging them. But none were unmoved, none rejected its pleas, and its commands without an effort of mind and will, so long as its master had its control of it. Well, it said now with a gentle question, why must you disturb my rest? Will you give me no peace at all by day or night? Its tone was that of a kindly-hearted aggrieved. They looked up, astonished, for they heard no sound of his coming, and saw a figure standing at the rail, looking down upon them, an old man swathed in a great cloak, the colour of which was not easy to tell for it changed as if they moved their eyes or he moved himself. The face was long, with a high forehead, and he had deep, darkling eyes, hard to fathom, though the look that they now bore was grave and benevolent, a little weary. His hair and beard were white, but strands of black still showed about his lips and ears. Like, and yet unlike, muttered Gimli. Oh, but come now, said the soft voice. Two at least of you I know by name. 
Gandalf I know too well, and have too much hope that he seeks help or counsel here. But you, Theoden, Lord of the Mark of Rohan, are declared by your noble devices, and still f by more by the fair countenance of the House of Earl. O worthy son of Thingol, thrice renowned, why have you come not before, and come as a friend? Much have I desired to see you, mightiest king of the western lands, and especially in these latter years, to save you from the unwise and evil counsels that beset you. Is it yet too late? Despite the injuries that have been done to me, in which the men of Rohan, alas, have had some part, still I would save you, and deliver you from the ruin that draws nigh inevitably, if you ride upon this road that you have taken. Indeed, I alone can save you now. Theoden opened his mouth as if to speak, but then he said nothing. He looked up at the face of Saruman with his dark, solemn eyes bent down upon him, and then to Gandalf at his side. He seemed to hesitate. Gandalf made no sign, but stood silent as a stone, as one waiting patiently for some call of the word of Saruman. A call that had not yet come. The rider stirred at first, murmuring with approval at the words of Saruman, and then they too were silent, as men spellbound. It seemed to them that Gandalf had never spoken so fair and fittingly to their lord, and rough and proud now seemed all his dealings with Theoden. And over their hearts crept a shadow, a fear of great danger, the end of the mark and the darkness to which Gandalf was driving them. While Saruman stood beside the door of escape, holding it half open so that a ray of light would come through. There was a heavy silence. It was Gimli the dwarf who broke in suddenly. The words of this wizard stand on their heads, he growled, gripping the handle of his axe. In the language of Orthnak, help means ruin, and saving means slaying. That is plain. We do not come here to beg. Peace, said Saruman, and for a fleeting moment his voice was slightly less suave, and a light flickered in his eyes and was gone. I do not speak to you yet, Gimli Gluon son, he said. Far away is your home, and small concern are yours to the trouble of the land. But it is not by design of your own that you came embroiled in them, so I will not blame you. You are a valiant one, I doubt not. But I pray you, allow me first to speak with the king of Rohan, my neighbour, and once my friend. What have you to say, Theoden king? Will you have peace with me, and all aid my knowledge, founded in long years? Shall we make our counsels together against evil days and repair our injuries with such good will that our states shall both come to fairer flower than ever before? Still fared and didn't answer. Whether he strove with anger or doubt, none could say. Eomer spoke instead. Lord, hear me, he said. Now we feel the peril that we are warned of. Have we ridden forth to victory only to stand at last amazed by an old liar with honey on his forked tongue? So would the tracked wolf speak to the hounds if he could. What aid can he give you, forsooth? All he desires is to escape this plight. But will you parley with this dealer in treachery and murder? Remember, Theodred at the fords and the grave of Haman helms deep. If we speak of poisoned tongues, what shall we say of yours, young serpent? said Saruman, in the flash of anguish, beginning to be plain to be seen. But come, Aemus, son of Aemons, he went on, to every man his part. Valor and arms is yours, and you in high honour thereby. Slame whom your lord names his enemy, and be content. 
meddle not in policies which you do not understand. But maybe, if you become king, you will find that he must choose his friends with care. The friendship of Saruman and the power of the Orthnark cannot be lightly thrown aside whatever grievances, real or fancied, may lie behind. You have won a battle, but not a war, and that with help on which you cannot count again. You may find the shadow of the wood at your own door next, and it's wayward and senseless. The wood has no love for men. But my lord of Rohan, am I to be called a murderer because valiant men have fallen in battle? If you go to war needlessly, for it I did not desire it, these men will be slain. But if I am a murderer on that account, then all the house of Earl is stained with murder, for they have fought many wars and assailed many who defied them. Yet with some they may have afterwards made peace, and none the worse for being politic. I say, Theoden King, shall we have peace and friendship, you and I? It is ours to command. We will have peace, said Theoden, at last, thickly and with effort. Several of the riders cried out gladly. Theoden held up his hand. Yes, we will have peace, he said now in a clear voice. We will have peace when you and all your words have perished, and the works of your dark master to whom you would deliver us. You are a liar, Saruman, and a corrupter of men's hearts. You hold out your hand to me, and I perceive only a finger of the claw of Mordor. Cruel and cold. Even if your war on me was just, as it is not, for you are ten times as wise, you would have no right to rule me and mine for your own profit as you desired. Even so, what would you say of your torches in Westfold, and the children that lie dead there? And they hewed Hama's body before the gates of Hornburg after he is dead. When you hang from a gibbet at your window for the sport of your own crows, I will have peace with you and Orthnick. So much for the house of Earl. A lesser son of great sires am I, but I do not need to lick your fingers. Turn elsewhither, but I fear your voice has lost its charm. The riders gazed up at Theoden like men startled out of a dream. Harsh as an old raven, their master's voice had sounded in their ears after the music of Saruman. But Saruman for a while was beside himself with wrath. He leaned over the rail as if he would smite the king with his staff. To some, it seemed suddenly that they saw a snake coiling itself to strike. Gibbets and crows, he hissed, and they shuddered at the hideous change. Dotard, what is the house of Earl but a thatched barn where brigands drink in the reek and the brats roll on the floor amongst the dogs? Too long have they escaped the gibbet themselves. But the noose comes, slow and drawing, tight and hard at the end. Hang, if you will. His voice had changed as he slowly mastered himself. I know what, why you have the patience, I have the patience to speak to you, for I need you not. Nor your little band of gallopers, as swift to fly as to advance. Theoden Horsemaster. Long ago I offered you a state beyond your merit and your wit. I have offered again, and now you have misled those whom you have misled may clearly see the choice of roads. You give me brag and abuse, so be it. Go back to your huts. But you, Gandalf, for you at least I am grieved, feeling for your shame. How comes it that you can endure such company? For you are proud, Gandalf, and not without reason, having a noble mind and eyes that look both deep and far. Even now, will you not listen to my counsel? Gandalf stirred and looked up. What have you to say that you did not say at our last meeting? he asked. Or perhaps you have things to unsay? 
Saruman paused. Unsay, he mused, as if puzzled. Unsay, I endeavoured to advise you for your own good, but you scarcely listened. You are proud and do not love advice, having indeed a store of your own wisdom. But on that occasion you erred, I think, misconstruing my intentions willfully. I fear that in my eagerness to persuade you I've lost patience, and indeed I regret it. For I bore you no ill will, and even now I bear none. Though you return to me in the company of violent and ignorant... How should I? Are we not both members of a high and ancient order, most excellent in Middle Earth? Our friendship would profit us both alike. Much we could still accomplish together to heal the disorders of the world. Let us understand one another and dismiss from thought these lesser folk. Let them wait upon your decisions. For the common good I am willing to redress the past and to receive you. Will you not consult with me? Will you not come up? So great was the power that Saruman exerted in his last effort, that none that stood within hearing were unmoved. But now the spell was wholly different. They heard the gentle remonstrance of a kindly king with an erring but much-loved minister, but they were shut out, listening at the door to words that were not met for them. An ill-mannered child or stupid servants overhearing the elusive discourse of their elders and wondering how it would affect their lot. Of loftier mould these two moods two were made, reverend and wise. It was inevitable that they would make an alliance. Gandalf would ascend to the tower, discuss deep things beyond their, beyond their comprehension in the high chambers of Ulfnick. The door would be closed and they would be left outside, dismissed to await an allotted work or punishment. Even the mind of Theoden, this thought took shape, like a shadow of doubt. He will betray us. He will go. We will be lost. But then Gandalf laughed. The fantasy vanished like a puff of smoke. Saruman, Saruman, said Gandalf still laughing. Saruman, you missed your path in life. You could have been the king's jester and earned your bread, and stripes too, by mimicking the counsellors. Ah, oh, me, he paused, getting the better of himself. Understand one another. I fear I'm beyond your comprehension. But you, Saruman, I understand now too well. I keep a clearer memory of your arguments and deeds than you suppose. When I last visited you, you were the jailer of Mordor, and there I was to be sent. Nay, the guest who has escaped from the roof would think twice before he comes back by the door. Nay, I do not think I will come up. But listen, Saruman, for the last time. Will you come down? Isengard has proved less strong than your hope and fancy has made it. So many other things which you have trust. Would it not be well to leave for a while? To turn to new things, perhaps? Think well, Saruman. Will you not come down? A shadow passed over Saruman's face, and then it went deathly white. Before he could conceal it, they saw through the mask an anguish of a mind in doubt, loathing to stay and dreading to leave its refuge. For a second he hesitated, and no one breathed. Then he spoke, and his voice was shrill and cold. Pride and hate were conquering him. Will I come down, he mocked. Does an unarmed man come down to speak to robbers out of doors? I can hear you well enough here. I'm no fool, and I don't trust you, Gandalf. They do not stand openly on my stairs, but I know that there are wild wood demons that are lurking at your command. Ugh, the treacherous are ever distrustful, answered Gandalf wearily. But you need not fear for your skin. I do not wish to kill you or hurt you, as you would know if you really understood me. And I have the power to protect you, 
I'm giving you one last chance. You can leave Orthnak free if you choose. That sounds well, said Saramon. Very much the manner of Gandalf the Grey, so condescending and so very kind. I do not doubt that you would find Orthnak commodious and my departure convenient, but why should I wish to leave, and what do you mean by free? There are conditions, I presume. Reasons for leaving you can see from your windows, answered Gandalf. Others will occur to your thought. Your servants are destroyed and scattered. Your neighbours, you have made your enemies, and you have cheated your new master or tried to do so. When his eye turns hither, he will be the red eye of wrath. And when I say free, I mean free. Free from bond, of chain or command, to go where you will, even to Mordor, Saruman, if you desired. But you must first surrender to me the key of Orthnark and your staff. There will be pledges of your conduct, to be returned later if you merit them. Saruman's face grew livid, twisted with rage, and a red light was kindled in his eyes. Later, he cried, and his voice rose to a scream. Later, yes, when you also have the kings of Barandur itself, I suppose, and the crowns of the kings and the rods of the five wizard, and purchase yourself a pair of boots many sizes larger than you need now. A modest pan, hardly one which my helpers needed. I have other things to do. Do not be a fool. If you wish to treat with me, well, you have a chance. Go away and come back when you are sober. Leave behind these cutthroats and small ragtags that dangle at your tail. Good day! He turned and left the balcony. Come back, Saramon, said Gandalf in a commanding voice. To the amazement of the others, Saramon turned again as if dragged against his will. He came back slowly to the iron rail, leaning on it, breathing hard. His face was lined and shrunken. His hand clutched his heavy black staff like a claw. I did not leave, give you leave to go, said Gandalf. I have not finished. You have become a fool, Saruman, and yet pitiable. You might still have turned away from folly and evil, and been of service, but you choose to stay and gnaw at the ends of your old plots. Stay then, but I warn you, you will not easily come out again. Not unless the dark hands of the east stretch out and take you, Saruman. He cried, and his voice grew in power and authority. Behold, I am not Gandalf the Grey, whom you betrayed. I am Gandalf the White, who has returned from death. You have no colour now, and I cast from you the order and cast you out from the council. He raised his hand and spoke slowly in a clear, cold voice. Saruman, your staff is broken. There was a crack, and the staff split asunder in Saruman's hand, and the head of it fell on Gandalf's feet. Go, said Gandalf. With a cry, Saruman fell back and crawled away. At that moment, a heavy shining thing came hurtling from above. It glanced off the iron rail, even as Saruman left it, and it passed close to Gandalf's head. It smote the stair on which he stood. The rail rang and snapped. The stair cracked and splintered in the glittering sparks, but the ball was unharmed. It rolled down on the steps, a globe of crystal, dark, but glowing with heart of fire. As it bounded away towards the pool, Pippin ran after it and picked it up. The murderous rogue, cried Anna, but Gandalf was unmoved. Nope, that was not thrown by Saruman, he said, or even at his bidding, I think. It came from the window above, a parting shot from Mr. Wormtongue. Not a very good aim. And the aim was poor, maybe, because he could not make up his mind which he hated more. You or Saruman, said Aragorn. That may be so, said Gandalf. Small comfort will those two have in their companionship. They will gnaw one another with words, 
but the punishment is just. If Wormtongue ever comes out of Orthnak alive, it will be more than he deserves. Here, my lad, I'll take that. I did not ask you to handle it, he cried, turning sharply and seeing Pippin come up the steps slowly as if he was bearing a great weight. When he went down to meet him and hastily took the dark globe from the hobbit, wrapping it in the folds of his cloak. I will take care of this, he said. It is not a thing, I guess, that Saruman would have chosen to cast away. But he may have other things to cast, said Gimli. If that is the end of the debate, let us go out of stone's throw at least. It is the end, Gandalf nodded. Let us go. They turned their backs on the doors of Orthnak and went down. The riders hailed the king with joy and saluted Gandalf. The spell of Saruman was broken. They had seen him come at call and crawl away dismissed. Well, that is done, said Gandalf. Now I must find Treebeard and tell him how things have gone. He would have guessed, surely, said Mary. Were they likely to end any other way? Not likely, answered Gandalf. Though if they came to the balance of a hair, I had reasons for trying, some merciful and some less so. First Saruman was shown that the power of his voice was waning. It cannot be both a tyrant and a counsellor. When the plot is ripe, it remains no longer secret. Yet he fell into the trap and tried to deal with his victims piecemeal while others listened. Then I gave him his last choice and a fair one, to renounce both Mordor and his private schemes and make amends by helping us in our need. He knows our need, none better. Great services could he have rendered, but he has chosen to withhold it and keep the power of Orthnak. He will not serve, only command. He lives now in terror of the shadow of Mordor, and yet he still dreams of riding the storm. Unhappy fool. He will be devoured if the power of the East stretches out his arms to Isengard. We cannot destroy Orthnak from without, but Sauron, who knows what he can do? And what if Sauron does not conquer? What will you do to him? answered Pippin. Asked Pippin. I? Nothing, said Gandalf. I will do nothing to him. I do not wish for mastery. What will become of him, I cannot say. I grieve that so much that was good now festers in the tower. Still, for us things have not gone badly. Strange are the turns of fortune. Often does hatred turn itself. I guess that even if we had entered in, we have found new treasures that Orthnark, more precious than the thing which Wormtongue threw at us. A shrill shriek suddenly cut off came from the open window high above them. It seems that Saruman thinks so too, said Gandalf. Let us leave them to it. They reached now to the ruins of the gate. Hardly had they passed out under the arch when, from under the shadows of the piled stones they stood, Treebeard and a dozen other Ents came striding up. Aragorn, Gimli and Legolas gazed at them in wonder. Here are three of my companions, Treebeard, said Gandalf. I have spoken of them, but you have not yet met them. He named them one by one. The old Ent looked at them and searched longingly, and spoke to them in turn. At last he turned to Legolas. So you've come all the way from Mirkwood, my good elf. A very great forest it used to be. Oh, it still is, said Legolas, but not so great that we who dwell there ever tire of seeing new trees. I should dearly love to journey to Fangon's wood. I scarcely passed beyond the eaves of it, and I did not wish to turn back. Treebeard's eyes gleamed with pleasure. 
I hope you have your wish, ere the hills be much older, he said. I will come if I have the fortune, said Legolas. I have made a bargain with my friend that, if all goes well, we will visit Fangorn together, by your leave. Any elf that comes with you will be welcome, said Treebeard. Oh, the friend I speak of is not an elf, said Legolas. I mean Gimli, Gloin's son here. Gimli bowed low, and the axe slipped from his belt and clattered to the ground. Hmm. 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 Oh, no, said Treebeard, looking dark-eyed at him. A dwarf and an axe-bearer. Hmm. I have good will to elves, but you ask much. This is a strange friendship. Strange it may seem, said Legolas, but while Gimli lives I shall not come to Fangorn alone. His axe is not for trees, but for orcs. O Fangorn, master of Fangorn's wood, forty-two he hewed at the battle. Whoo! come now, said Treebeard. That is a better story. Well, well, things will go as they will, and while there is no need to hurry to meet them, for now we must part for a while. Day is drawing to an end, yet Gandalf says you must go ere nightfall. The Lord of the Mark is eager for his own house. Yes, we must go and go now, said Gandalf. I fear I must take your gatekeepers from you, but you'll manage well enough without them. Maybe I shall, said Treebed, but I will miss them. We have become friends in such a short while that I think we must be getting I must be getting hasty. Growing backwards towards youth, or perhaps. But there, they are the first new things under the sun or moon that I have seen for many a long day. I shall not forget them. I have put their names into the long list. Ents will remember it. Ents the earth bound, old as the mountains, the wide walkers, the water drink. Hungry as hunters, the hobbit children, the laughing folk, the little people. They shall remain friends as long as leaves are renewed. Fare you well. But if you hear news up in your pleasant land, in the Shire, send me a word. You know what I mean. Word or sight of the Entwives. Come yourselves if you can. We will, said Mary and Pippin together, and they turned away hastily. Treebeard looked at them and was silent for a while, shaking his head. He turned to Gandalf. So Saruman will not leave, he said. I do not think he would. His heart is rotten as a black horn. Still, if I were overcome and all my trees destroyed, I would not come while I had one dark hole left to hide in. No, said Gandalf, but you have not plotted to cover all the world with your trees and choke other living things. But there it is, Saruman remains to nurse his hatred and weave again such webs as he can. He has the key of Orthnark, but he must not be allowed to escape. Oh, indeed no. Ents will see to that, said Treebeard. Saruman will not set foot beyond the rock without my leave. Ents will watch over him. Good, said Gandalf. That's what I hoped. Now I can go and tend to other matters which 
with one care the less. But you must be weary. The waters have gone down. It will not be enough to put sentinels around the tower, I fear. I do not doubt that there will be deep ways delved under the Orthnach, and that Saruman hopes to go and come unmarked before long. If you undertake that labour, I beg you to pour in the waters again, and do so until Isengard remains a standing pool, or you discover the outlets. When all the underground places are drowned and the outlets blocked, then Saruman may stay upstairs and look out the windows. Oh, leave it to the ants, said Treebeard. We shall search the valley from head to foot and peer under every pebble. Trees are coming back to live here. Old trees, wild trees. The watchwood, we will call it. Not a squirrel will go here. That I will know of it. Leave it to the ants. Until seven times the years in which he tormented us have passed, we shall not tire of watching him.